You're listening to the Racer Racer podcast presented by Race 92 Special Edition 2022 Indy 500 Preview Show. I'm your co-host, Aaron McAtee, and our other co-host actually did not come from Great Clips. He's actually in in the exact same place where Scott Bowie would be. Um, we were joined by current USF 2000 points leader, Jagger Jones. Um, and most recently, you were on the podium IMS, which definitely I know was a special Special thing for you. Um, I mean, anytime, obviously, you're on the podium is a good thing, but being at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, obviously, your family has a lot of history there. So I'm sure it was, you know, really, really cool experience for you that weekend. Yeah, it was. First, no offense to Bowie, but hopefully, no one mistakes me for him uh, for too long. But um, yeah, it was a good weekend at IMS, um, not last weekend, but the road course weekend two weeks ago. Uh, we finished with a second and a third and um, a little mishap in the other race. So all in all, pretty good weekend, good points for us. Uh, we're now leading the championship. We're racing at IRP this weekend, Lucasville Raceway. Uh, if you're headed out here for the weekend for the 500, Friday night, carb night, we are racing at IRP. So we have 75 laps. I think our race green flag drops at 7 p.m. So you're looking for something to do that night come out to our race absolutely and we are also joined right now by five-time indianapolis 500 starter and 1999 indy 500 rookie of the year robbie mcgee robbie this is like i think the third time you've been on the show so we really appreciate you coming back on happy to be here i got a real setup this time i think the last few times i've been on the show i've been holding my iphone in motion somewhere so uh, which i apologize for so oh no you're so. fine so happy, happy to be here. And, and Jagger, I think I just put everything together with your last name. I didn't, are you, you're PJ's son, right? Yes, that is okay, me. Okay, tell your dad I said hello, man. I, I didn't uh, I didn't put that together when we first got on. Congrats on your win or your win or podium or third Indy. Thank you. Yeah, we won at Barber um, a couple of weeks back. And we're, I think, four podiums this year now. So out of seven races. So it's been going well. Uh, just got to keep it, keep it going keep being consistent for some wins. That's awesome. I have, I have no doubt you'll be in an indie cart at uh, someday. That's awesome. Thank and, you. Thank you. Yeah, that's the goal. A few years. And you say you drove U a USF 2000 car, right, Robbie? I did. I really cut my teeth in USF 2000. Um, I went straight. I went from uh, Skip Barber Racing School Series, and then I was either going to go. They were called the Barber Dodge Pro Series. Uh, Would have been doing the deal sticking with Skip Barber or going over to um, the SCCA and road racing uh, there, which was uh, USF 2000. We did a couple of SCCA club continental races um, and then um, jumped right into uh, the F2000 series uh, with a old Swift DB6 chassis and um, Got my butt kicked real quick. That was just, that was like, I think 1996, maybe. Um, then we went out and we bought a, a Van Diemen and kind of, which was the chassis that everybody was using at the time. Um, and um, it was, uh, you know, was on a team that was based out of St. Louis. And, you know, we, we had good mechanics, but we didn't have the, the, the good stuff, but we had made some good runs um, and then signed up with, uh, I wonder if he's still there, uh, John Bados' team, uh, which was the Van Diemen factory team and started running up front, went in and actually I think I ran a year with key tours, but but they were a top team. And um, 
I think two years in a row, I got the oval crown champion. Um, and then, um, finished like second or something in the points. And at that point it was going to be, um, to go try to raise a million or 2 million bucks to run Atlantic or formula or Indy lights, uh, you know, so that people could stay up till 3am and watch it on ESPN Ocho, um, or figure out how to do a deal where we could run in the Indy 500 and the IRL had just, uh, gotten going, gotten going. Um, and, um, and it was, uh, it, it was a much easier sponsor race. So we went out and we found a partner, um, here in St. Louis with Energizer, uh, put a deal together where I brought my F2000 team, Dave Conti, who is uh, the, the guy's a genius with race cars. And it didn't really matter how big they were. He goes all the way back to the Super V days, um, which a lot of the, you know, I, I know Alan Sir Jr. ran. There were some big names back in Super V way back when. Um, and got up there and our legitimately our first race was first real race was the Indy 500. Our first race was the Charlotte race before the Indy 500, which ended in tragedy. There was a, a car and a wheel got up in the, in the stands and they red flagged the race. Um, so that wasn't a great first race to have, but, um, the next one was the 500 went out there and just drove around. And I remember, uh, we were running pretty well. I don't know that we were the fastest car, but we were just very consistent. And, uh, I, I, remember saying over the radio, I'll, I'll go back to something that was bigger that happened in the middle race, but I said, I remember saying over the radio, you know, where are the rest of the rookies? And Dave said, you know, don't worry about that. We're going to win this race. Who cares where the rookies are? Um, but that was a race that was a, a, a lot of ups and downs and it ended up very positive. But if you'll recall, my crew chief, Steve Freed was, was actually, he was killed on the, on the, in the pit lane and they revived him and he came back and I still trade emails with him today. Um, you know, so that was a, that was a tough one. They pulled him out, took him straight to the hospital. He was out. I mean, they, they thought he was going to not make it. And, and fortunately Dave's wife, Linda, who was our team manager was also my spotter. You know, I kept high with Steve and, and, oh, he's fine. He's sitting up in the, he's sitting up in bed, uh, watching the race and rooting for you, which was, which was a, a lie, but it was a good lie to tell. So I could finish the race. Um, but, um, yeah, it was, and we just ended up in fifth and, um, it's wild because I remember thinking, well, I just finished fifth my first year. That was easy. Uh, I'm going to come back and we're going to win this next year and, and never got back to fifth really. Um, it was, uh, it was a lot of, a lot of things happened, you know, the right way. And, um, from that ride, I got into a Treadway car, um, maybe could have won it in 2000. That was probably the best race I ever had. The car was amazing. Um, and I, I you know, I remember passing both target cars for the, for the lead and, on a restart, my engine popped. So, um, at like lap 100. So, and then it was, I don't want to say downhill from there, but I was on less, less funded teams, uh, for the remainder of, of my career at Indy. And, um, I think I kind of ran on a little bit there, uh, but, but it all did start with formula 2000. And I always used to say, and I don't know how it is now I'm curious, but I mean, like, like if you were going to pass them, somebody, you had to use the grass. There was, I mean, this was, this is a bunch of young kids wanting to race Indy cars and not, given an inch or there's no gentleman racing in, in formula 2000. I mean, there was, you know, there was, it was from a blocking standpoint from all that stuff. I mean, it looked exactly like, like formula one does now to some extent, um, except, you know, they touch wheels and it's hundreds of millions of dollars. We touched wheels and it was just a bad weekend. Um, still expensive, but, um, it, it was very, very competitive. And I, I've lost kind of touch on what, 
you know, what, what the ranks are between F2000, Mazda. When I, when I raced, um, I, the Mazda was more of a West Coast central thing. I think Mazda's in there somewhere in the ladder, but um, Formula 2000 was ultra competitive. Um, and, you know, I got to IndyCar and it was like, wow, he's going to let me go under him without crashing me. Uh, that's nice. Of course, obviously the results of a crash would be materially larger uh, on an oval at 220 than on a road course somewhere driving through the grass or gravel. But um, Formula 2000 is awesome. I'd highly endorse it. And I'm assuming it's still Dan Anderson and his group running it. Is that mm -hmm. accurate? Yeah. So it's Dan. And so the series goes, it's USF 2000 and then, which, uh, then, Indy Pro, which formerly was Pro Mazda, okay. uh, Mazda is no longer involved. So it's Indy Pro now, and then Indy Lights, and then Indy Car. And yeah, the who Anderson's makes the uh, chassis? And what are, what are, what are the uh, what are Tattis. the good chassis? Tattis? Yeah. So I, it's I, I, and it's a spec chassis now. Oh, so it is. They're really, okay. the only they're the only ones you can run, and it's the same tub for US for USF 2000 and Indy Pro. We use the same tubs, but they just have a little bit more aero with a diffuser and bigger front really? and rear wing and um, a little bit more horsepower but it's the same tub um, and then when you go to indy lights it's a completely new right uh, chassis and car is it still uh sandy with quicksilver and steve elite making the motors for uh f2000 or is it a spec yeah also? it's still it's still elite doing the motors okay and it's a it's spec with elite so they it pretty much control elite. all all the motors stuff now i got you cool that's neat. Yeah, I, I I love that series. I think so highly of it. And I always thought after I finished kind of my racing in my career where, you know, it was all about stressing, you know, where's my, in the last few years of mine, I, I raced with Larry Cahill, who was awesome. And it was his hobby. And he was a heck of a gentleman to put up the money he did to race, you know, to race in there. And I feel bad for some of those guys that got left out of the IRL when it got big again, but, uh, or when, you know, when all the car teams came back and, mega money came in but um i, I it was always stressful like i got to do well if we crash the car we're going to race next week i mean and it was the career so you know you wanted to you wanted to keep your career um mm -hmm. and i always and it felt like that in formula 2000 to some extent but formula 2000 i remember going to the track having a lot of fun low stress this is going to be fun and i mean it's you know you, you you put the visor down and the green flag comes you're sitting in your office and you're doing the same thing but um i just had so much fun in that series to the extent that i you know after multiple years after I finished uh, my IndyCar career, I wanted to, I was thinking, God, I'd love to just go buy a, buy a, a 2000, a Formula 2000. And and then the more I think about it, I remember how competitive and how crazy it was. Maybe I could be an old club racer or something. Um, but I, I love that series. Those cars were so cool. They mm -hmm. had such a huge amount of grip. And, um, you know, if you lost, if you, if you lost that grip or if you scrub speed or whatever, it was punishing because you didn't have that much horsepower to get you going again. Um, yeah. And I can agree too. I was, uh, I was actually talking to Will, Will Power a little bit this weekend about, it and he's like, yeah, the junior formula stuff is crazy because he helps out one of the kids that's running against me. And he was just saying how, um, how crazy our races are and uh, just to kind of keep your head down and try to stay out of some of the messes and some of that. And he's like, even if you don't win the championship, it doesn't necessarily mean you're not the best or want a driver that can make it to IndyCar just considering how crazy the races can be and how short they are and the aggression levels, a lot can happen in those races. Um, and there's so, the, I think the gap in IndyCar is pretty close. Like it seems like a lot, like a lot of guys can go out and win, but in our series, there's 
every the equipment is very similar there's especially now with the spec chassis like you're saying it wasn't like that before but like right now it's there's only so much you can really change on the cars so it's super close super competitive and um, i think that's what breeds such good drivers you see guys like um pato uh herda kirkwood all coming through the road to indy and all having really early success in indycar i, I love to see that i mean I, I love to see that that ladder is actually working um you know and i i don't know if there's financial support or whatever you know mm -hmm. if you win or whatnot um yeah so if they you all, win yeah if you win now they pretty much uh you win the scholarship to move to the next series and it's not a hundred percent covered the cost but it's pretty close so they're doing a yeah. A good job of that and if you win indy lights i think it's four guaranteed races in indycar the next year and including the 500 so it's a pretty good program that they have put together and um, i mean it's one of the reasons why i kind of moved over to this direction of racing and i'm doing it this year yeah it's cool it's it's, it's good that they're able to get that work in and it, and what a cool series i just I've, I've got so many great memories of uh of racing formula 2000 we didn't have spec chassis so my final year which was my best year we had a tattoos chassis um and uh it was so damn fast in the straightaways we do those big rovals where we'd go around charlotte with one chicane or whatever in a 2000 car it was insane um but that car was 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 so fast and we uh we got nicknamed the lawn dart because it didn't stop that well and i feel like I darted a few people off the grass, off into the grass, and <laughs> it was it was really really well built. It wouldn't fold or break for anything. Um, it was a uh, that, that was I just remember having so much fun. So have have fun while while you're at it because it's uh, you know it's a it's a it you know you can still go out there and again you don't have to win. Um, it's not your end goal, but it's it it it's on the road to getting to your end goal and it should be you know it should be fun at this stage um and the the rest will come when it comes i mean you'll, you'll have plenty of time banging on doors for sponsors uh you know for indy it's not it, that that's uh that's that's less fun than actually just going out there and having fun <laughs> and doing what you do good yeah of course i mean it, it's cool to be um on this side of racing you probably don't know but i was doing a bunch of nascar stuff before and um, I feel definitely at home now doing more road course IndyCar stuff. And um, it's been a good year so far, but like you're saying, it's not all about winning, but at the end of the day, that's the main goal, what, what you're there for. And that's how I feel like I'm can best position myself to make it to where I want to be. And that's IndyCar. So. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Well, you certainly have got the family history there uh, and, and I'm sure they're giving you great support. So that's awesome. Yes. So what did you say, Robbie? So obviously you drove USF 2000. Um, so kind of progressing through the different cars, like how do you think that kind of prepared you for your ultimate goal of driving the 500? Because you talk about how competitive it was in the USF 2000. Um, like kind of how did that competition level change when you got into IndyCars and eventually the Indy 500? Well, I mean, I think um, it, it's the same thing. I mean, in formula cars, a formula car, one just has more horsepower. And it's a matter of my first test in an Indy car was, um, was so fast, like all I'm doing is hanging on for dear life. I was having fun. I had the biggest grit. I was ear to ear grin, you know, feeling that horsepower and going that fast. It's like, holy crap. But, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, um, your brain 
catches up after getting used to it. Your brain gets used to the speed. You slow it down. You're in a big formula car. It's the same. It's the same thing from a competitive standpoint. Um, there was a huge dollar spread um, in terms of uh, you know where, at Indy, um, and I can say you know formula. I mean, I'm sure there were guys spending 50 grand to run F2000, and they could they could go out and they could have fun every single weekend, but they were never going to win. The good teams in F2000 when I was there was about a $200,000 budget. Um, you know, so in the you know in the variation was 150 to 250. Any of those guys could could, could win. Um, but the at IndyCar, you know, it's like you know, some with with Larry uh, Cahill, we had a we, we we were about two million a year you know, while Penske was spending 10 million at Indy alone, um, you know, so it's, it's a little bit of a, I mean, you're in the big show, so who cares? You know, I, you know, at the time when I first did it, I didn't care if I was, I, I just wanted to make the race and like, holy, you know, walk out onto the, onto the, the grid at Indy and get in a car. It's like, that was, that was your first, first goal, but then the goals move. Then it's, um, I want to, um, I want to win a race or I want to, I want to finish top five or top 10 and, and at IndyCar, at that level for me and the different teams I ran on, and I'm, uh, Jagger, I'm sure your, your, your dad would say the same thing. Like you set expectations. You determine if I get 10th place in this car, that's a win. Um, and I'm going to celebrate it like it's a win. Um, you know, there were a couple of years where I had, I had a car that could have won one year, probably with Treadway. Um, and, um, you know, we were up in the top five all the time. Um, but then the next couple of years I was running with Larry and then I ran PDM in 2004. And that, that was, that turned out to be one. I just wanted to like survive. Um, which, Cause you know, we got a car last minute. I got one, I got four laps in it and it was supposed to come over from Robbie Gordon's uh, uh, backup car uh, all set up, but it came over without suspension on it. And I said, who's our engineer. And, you know, at the end of the day, regardless of how we got there, there, there really wasn't an engineer. Um, so we put it on and, I remember starting that race and like, I got to come in or I'm going to crash. Um, and it, you know, it just, it, that was kind of towards the end of my career where I, you know, I wasn't having fun, you know, when, when you get in a bad car on an oval like that, it's, it's just, it's, it's not fun at all. I mean, it's terrifying. Um, the, uh, the fun thing about running on road courses with, uh, with formula 2000 is you can drive around a, a car that's not really behaving perfectly. Um, but with, uh, that, that was the biggest difference. Um, going from just muscle in the car, even if it wasn't listening to what you wanted to really understanding and, re and, and reading what the car is doing. Um, Cause you can have all the lasers on the ground in the world. Nothing's better than driver feedback. And in F2000, I think, you know, there was certainly feedback. It's loose, it's pushing whatnot, but, but it was just, it was just at a very basic level. Um, and then my engineer was way smarter than me and he would just do something. I go out, okay, that felt better. Uh, at the Indy car, level for me it was um you go out and test and like okay i'm going into the turn and this is what's happening the car's squatting um and and i, I don't mind the squat but there's a weird little rebound after it squats that makes me uncomfortable so then they would tune the the, the bouncer rebound on the stock you know on the shocks um, so it's a lot more intricate in getting the car right because and, and i one of my greatest regrets is i never got to drive an indy car on a road course because i i grew up training road courses and i love road courses um indy car irl at the time was all ovals um and on an oval the car has to behave and if it's not set up right um it's going to be a long day and it's not going to be you know it's not going to be very fun so you learn a lot there you learn why the engineers are paid as much as the drivers sometimes more maybe um 
they're 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 the they're the brains behind it but but there's been a lot of good drivers who could win races but couldn't set up a car for shit um you know and, and there's and i think they're known they let their teammates set the car up and then they just go win the race um so th there's multiple skill levels in that and i kind of was i, I always said i had a very you know a, you would talk about what you feel up through your ass because that's what you're sitting on right so um some drivers aren't sensitive. Some are very sensitive. I could feel I, I could feel anything in a car, um, and 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 I probably wasn't the best at setting up cars. Um, so I'd say that was probably the biggest difference. Competition's competition. I mean, you got to learn who to stay the heck away from. You know, again, it's, this just goes back to oval racing versus um, road course racing. There are people that out there. You get near them, you stay the hell away from them, and you get a good run, and you just hold your breath while you pass them so they don't crash you, right? So, uh, you know, then there's people like um, I remember there was a whole year where I feel like uh, Buddy Lazier and I were were locked wheels side by side on one and a half mile high bank ovals, and I can say we both probably felt really comfortable with it. Um, so, you know, so you got guys like that who you know you can trust who isn't going to kill you because they don't want to die either. And then you got people like, you know, that you don't know. Um, and that, that's kind of the wild card. Um, and um, to be a driver that people fear is, could be considered a bit of a uh, advantage because it works, uh, you know, it works to your favor. No one's going to, no one's, you know, they're going to be real careful coming around you. And, uh, you know, that makes you more competitive. Um, so I think, uh, again, no, knowing your surroundings a lot more. Um, I just remember Formula 2000. I mean, there's just, 30, 40, 50 cars on the track and it's just mayhem. <laughs> it was fun, but um, you just get through turn one and just, you know, that's a matter of just surviving and, uh, you know, and again, just having fun through the mayhem. Would you say you approach the Indy 500? I mean, obviously Indy 500 is the biggest race of the world. Would you say you approached it, I guess, differently than other races as far as like a mental perspective? I mean, my goal as a child, uh, you know, and I wrote this paper that was all over the media when I was doing it and it, uh, drew a picture of a car. And I mean, my dream was to drive in the Indy 500 start and finish never changed. I watched formula one. I'm like, that's not for me. I want to drive in the Indy 500. I looked at every single Indy 500 race qualifying. I could, I could as a kid from eight years old to, you know, until I was driving in it. So, um, of course, I mean, it's, it's uh you know it, it was everything it was awesome and it was you know finishing an indy 500 regardless of where you finish is a huge accomplishment it's a really hard track and it's it's barely just one track it's like a living being um the wind changes um it's so big and so far apart like you know you may need a different handling car for three and four as you do one and two and then different for one and between one and two and three and four um so it's uh it is it and you also used to be there for an entire month, you know, running at full speed. It's like, um, you know, you go in, this is the greatest race ever. I, I don't remember what Al Jr. said, but he said something like, you just don't know what it is, what Indy means. You don't know what Indy um, means, yeah. Yeah, uh, and that's every every single one of us feel that. I'm legitimately sitting here getting goosebumps as I talk about it. It's, it's, that, that's what it means. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's a hard track. It's you know, you go to Texas or Charlotte or, or we obviously don't go to Charlotte or Atlanta or whatever, the high bank tracks, most tracks, they're easy to drive. I mean, you just, you know, you got the cars have too much downforce. Um, Indy is like a Phoenix where you actually have to drive the car almost like to a road course extent, except you're hauling massive ass. <laughs> you're going 235, 240 into turn one. And if something, 
uh, I, as someone who's hit the wall at Indy, it is not something you want to do like ever or once or twice, you know, or really ever. Um, and if, you know, everybody will, um, you know, it's, there's those who have, and there those who haven't yet. Um, but it's not pleasant. Um, and you know, so it's a high stakes game. Um, you know, a couple of years we had a backup car. Some years we didn't. It's like, I got really nervous going out for uh carb day. It's like, I'm on the, I'm in the race. Like, but what do I, I don't really want to go out there and drive around right now. Cause if I crash, I'm screwed. Um, sure. You know, so the, the, it, it's just a really high stakes weekend full of emotion. Um, I, I got to say, there's nothing, there's nothing that makes you think you're feel with less worth than sitting on the bubble and just watching cars, not take shots at you or, or just not qualifying. We didn't qualify in 2001 because we had a huge accident. I broke my leg and my back. Um, but I was back in the car with a leg brace on and just could never get the car figured out. And it may have been in my head. I don't really know. Um, it, you know, it, I've, I've been on both sides of it. It sucks. Uh, but then it's also the coolest thing in the world. When we finished fifth at Indy, um, you know, it took me, took me weeks to come back to reality. Like, you know, and we didn't even win. I finished fifth. That was the coolest thing, you know, ever. And it's still, it turned out to be my, my probably biggest accomplishment. Um, Unfortunately, though, if you Google me, the first thing that comes up, my most not notorious performance was being the first person to hit the safer barrier, uh, soft wall, which, oh, I'm not, which I'm not super excited about. But, um, you know, people who know me now that I've never known, oh, you someone to look you up, dude, you hit the wall hard. Are you OK? Like, well, no, I'm not OK. You know me. <laughs> Joking. You're probably thankful, though, that it was you weren't the last person to hit a non safer barrier wall. Yeah, my hit was. Uh, so, I mean, I hit 200, I was 218 miles an hour going backwards into it about the wrong way. And it, uh, but instead of deflecting off going backwards, like it caught it and flung it again, flung it around once the gearbox dug into the wall and flung it around, which still is better, but it was, it was two 75 G hits, uh, versus one 150 or whatever G hit, which, which would knock, would have knocked me out and maybe caused head injury. Um, I, I remember hitting the wall so hard. And, uh, they're on the, right on the radio. They came in and they go, are you okay? And I, I went to say, I went to say yes, but I, I all I could say was, ah, I mean, all, I, couldn't, I couldn't even, I couldn't punctuate or I couldn't even, um, get a word out of my mouth. Cause I was in so much freaking pain. Um, you know, it's like getting a Charlie horse on your body everywhere at the exact same time. And a really bad one, um, with a bad headache at the same time. So it was bad, but I was awake. Um, and I felt pain, which means I'm alive. Uh, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it was a win. I'm glad it was there. I would not encourage anybody to hit it. There's nothing soft about it, um, but it did probably save my life. So, or save my brain. Right. So you, um, so when, when you ran, there was two full weeks of practice, right? Because that was when we had basically the full month. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, I think it was two, two weeks. I remember I would drive up there and then I drove home like, um, I might've driven home after pole day. Maybe, um, I, I, it, I would be back in St. Louis for a couple, you know, for a week between, you know, after we'd already qualified or after something. Um, so it was the full, it was the full month. And I think maybe at the end they abbreviated it a little bit, which is, um, I, I remember hearing, you know, I, I, when I was growing up watching, uh, when I was racing in F2000, I mean, we were, we were at the races with some of the champ car stuff. And I remember hearing Paul Tracy talk about India. It's like, 
we don't want to, you know, something along, I don't want to go there and drive 240 miles an hour every single day for a month. We're going to, someone's going to die. I mean, cause it's so crazy and fast. And, you know, there's that kind of thought that, uh, that, that goes with it. But yeah, it was, I remember I moved into, uh, we had the Marriott downtown sponsor. So I, I moved in, that was my, that was, I lived there. Another time I, uh, we had a, a home builder sponsor. So I just lived in an empty home up there. Um, and for a week, we wouldn't have done that. I mean, this, that's when we were there all month. We'd run one. I liked it because some days you'd run. They're like, yeah, we're not going to run tomorrow. Maybe go hang out at the track for a couple hours, look around and um, and go back to doing our thing and then run again. It was that before they had the um, so Tony Stewart just released his video on YouTube like last week where he was talking about he was like one of the first drivers to really like stay inside the track. It was before they had the like the mobile homes inside the track for the drivers, like the driver coach slot or whatever. Did they have yeah. that when you? Yeah. Did you yeah, ever so I, actually stay inside the track? I stayed there the last couple races. I mean, I no, I stayed there. I stayed there every night before the race for my first three or four years. Um, just cause you don't want to get stuck outside. I mean, like, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, I've got, I mean, like most race car drivers, I've got a real, one of my few pet peeves is traffic. And, um, I, I get really nervous around traffic. I hate traffic. Um, and, um, I would always just, fear that I wasn't, you know, something was going to happen where I wasn't going to be able to get there. And it's like, I'm not putting that to chance. So we, we had a motor coach, we would stay there. And, uh, the, the one memory that pops to mind when I'm staying there is that freaking cannon that they shoot off at 6 AM. It's like, I don't need to wake up at six. I want to sleep in it. You know, I was 20, well, I don't know how late twenties, early thirties. I mean, I could sleep in till nine. I can't anymore, but I used to be able to, um, and I wanted to, and that cannon would go off and I'd come out of my bed about a foot, a foot out of, you know, scared the crap out of me. Um, but yeah, no, we, we did it and it was cool. I don't, I think now they mostly stay there the kind of yeah. the whole time. Um, but I, I didn't. Yeah. So, um, Tony Stewart had this video where he was talking about it is when he did the double and he said he came back and he was like the only, so I think he came back the night of the 500 because I had the victory banquet the next day. So he flew back from Charlotte that night, went into his mo motor home. And he said, it was just a really weird experience because he was the only one there. And he said, the place just felt alive. And, you know, he was kind of alluding to some like the paranormal stuff. He's like, I don't believe in that, but like, <laughs> it's just this energy that was inside the track was just something he can't explain. Yeah. I, I mean, it's really cool. it, the in, Indy, like, you know, in, Indy is unique. It's special. It's awesome. I mean, the, you know, it, it, it's, uh, they're, they're never going to reproduce it anywhere else. I don't care if it's formula one, if it's Daytona, if it's NASCAR, whatever, Indianapolis 500 is, the, is the, it, it, well, for me, the, the most special race, um, special event really, you know, ever, and it always will be. And I feel very, very blessed to have been able to, uh, get to drive in it. Um, you know, there were probably better drivers out there than me that didn't get to drive in it. Um, come, the one thing you'll see coming out of through Formula 2000, I mean, I had some teammates that were just rock stars in the, in the, in the, uh, and they took different directions. One of them went to Atlantic and got kind of stuck there. Another went to Indy Lights. Um, and, um, you know, really, really good drivers that didn't get to race at Indy. Um, you know, so it, it's, 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 it's really special. I feel massively blessed to have, I, you know, I've lived my childhood dream. Um, and, uh, I'm alive to talk about it. I've, I've taken some shots to the head. So some would say I'm not as smart as I used to be, but, um, I don't know if that's accurate or not. A few broken bones. Um, uh, but 
you know, I can look back and say I did it, you know, and then on to chapter two, um, which, which I'm on now. So was it ever tricky to kind of find the balance between setting your car up for qualifying and trying to make the race versus trying to focus on having a faster race car and kind of focusing on your race pace? I mean, it was really, I mean, that, that was like, there is not like, you know, we talk about having fun and not having fun. Like, I mean, qualifying at Indy, you know, at least when there's cars where you can get bumped, um, you set your car up so that it doesn't have any freaking downforce and you're going into turn one at 240 miles an hour and everybody in the entire place is going to hear if you lift. So it's just like, I mean, I've had my right foot on top of my left foot. Um, you know, wait, no, my left foot on top of my right foot holding the throttle down, but still somewhere in there, like you go back and you look at the data and there's just a little baby lift. I'm like, I didn't lift. They're like, it says what it says. You know, it's like, uh, so, so yeah, I mean, um, that may have changed. I, I'm going to make a estimation here and I don't know. I I don't think I've really talked to anybody about it and really know, but it's like, especially I, I was looking when those cars had all that aerodynamic crap on them. I'm glad they got rid of that. I think that looks horrible. Um, but that's just my personal opinion. Um, I don't know how many years ago that was, but um, the last iteration of the Delar just had arrow everywhere. Um, oh and to me, it looked like it was just, I mean, it looked like they were just flat everywhere. Like they had enough air, they had way more arrow than they had engine. So, so, so it looked easy. I mean, again, I, I, I'm just going with what I saw and I don't know if that's the case or not. Um, and if that, you know, when that happens, you just try to, you know, free the car up as much as you can, you know, from arrow drag. And then, you know, whoever does the best at that and can still hold on, you know, you still go flat everywhere you go. Um, my first year qualifying at Indy, it was before they had, uh, it was before they redid the track. Um, it wasn't like it used to be where they took the cars all the way under the white line, but I mean, you had two wheels way under the white line. Um, and, and it wasn't flat, man. It was, uh, it, you know, you'd be going fast and you, it was definitely a, a, a lift. Um, I don't, never really a break, but a good lift going into one or three, depending on, on, on where the wind was. Um, so I don't know what was, what question was I answering? I got lost in my, just kind of finding the balance between, trying to oh, set yeah. your car up for qualifying and trying to make the race huge and... huge difference i mean mm -hmm. you're qualifying at 230 and then a race lap is 212 so it's you know and, and 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 it's like how is this you know and then the fastest race lap is 219 or something like that but you're qualifying at 230 so massive difference in the car a race car is easy to drive as it should be it should mm -hmm. be stable if you get you know lose lose the air or whatever um you should have enough downforce to, to to offset any sort of loss of air on either wing um but, you know, I don't know if that's still the case. Um, I don't know if, I don't know how the cars are now. I can tell you when I was driving, there was a, there was a big, big difference. Um, and um, I'll tell you one of the coolest things I did. I, I jumped into a Panther car bump day after having four laps in the car, but Sam, uh, Sam Hornish was driving one car and Billy Boat was driving the other car and they were both pretty fast. Um, and I got in, I don't remember what I qualified, but I think it would have been top, 15 if it were on the first week but it wasn't so i was it was way in the back but um i ran four laps ran like a 218 219 220 would or no i ran like a 220 which would have been fast enough to get in the race and uh i remember getting in it for qualifying i think john barnes winked at me he's like it should be good i'm like okay 224 immediately i'm like well 
we need to do that all the time, whatever we did, <laughs> did for putting qualifying. So I think they just tape up all the vents and, you know, clean it up. But um, it's, it's a different car. You, you couldn't race a qualifying car. You'd be in the wall on turn one. Um, there's, I mean, think speaking of which, if you want me to lead into India turn one on the start, if you're not in the first few rows is, is something that's undescribable and some, you know, something you just got to experience to know what it's like because the turbulence of, um, the turbulence that, that all those, those the arrow on those cars, those cars in front of you makes is just crazy. I remember I started 27th my first year. First of all, you can't see because it's like brown, whatever, from the exhaust. Um, but then you go in expecting the car to turn. It's like, uh, why isn't the car turning? Because there's just, then it turn, you know, there's just a ton of turbulence. It's like riding, flying an airplane through a, you know, a thunderstorm almost. Um, you know, so it's uh, that, that's that's an interesting phenomenon. And that's one that if, for people who are doing it the first time, I would not rec I'd recommend just chilling out. You can, you can catch catch back up, but don't don't go in there ball to the wall or you can hurt yourself. What um? So obviously you were in five Indy five hundreds. What was your favorite? Like, did you have a moment like maybe the pre race or the parade or I don't know, just something during the month? Was there something that happened during the month that was always like your favorite thing about the race? I love the kind of the fanfare around it. I, mm -hmm. the, to, to date, to, to date, the still, the thing that, um, the thing that just gets me every time is back home again in Indiana with the balloons going, um, you know, and then the, the military oh. jets flying over. I mean, it's no just, balloons this year, you know, there's no balloons this year. I didn't under, I don't, I heard, I think I heard that. I don't understand yeah. what was, what was the reason. Environmental something. Um, there were some environmental groups that got involved in, basically got to shut down they like to ruin the fun don't they <laughs> but i i heard i heard rumors of people saying that there's going to be people locally that are going to still be letting off balloons yeah i mean not you know there's so surprised. many political pressures from every direction it's ridiculous i'm surprised we can even run gas cars now i mean it's uh you know it's don't get me going <laughs> right uh, the, um, yeah so that whole Deal, the back home and again in indiana who's is mike rose singing that or who sings that now um it is jim cornelius and he's the guy who sings the um he sings for chicago blackhawks okay uh -huh. he, he does a really good job i mean obviously i don't think they're ever going to be able to re replace jim neighbors because just i think that was part just jim neighbors was just part of the festivities just him being there. he was amazing i remember right. i got talked into doing the fashion shows that you know there's a Kara fashion show which is I want to say Betty Rutherford put it on when I, when I was doing it and we would show up and Jim neighbors would be there. And it was just, I, I love all that. I mean, I love Indy. I mean, I, I, I love Indy, even if I'm not driving, um, you know, fr from a, from just the, the, the event standpoint um, and being part, being on the, on the, on the inside of all those celebrations and the parade riding around. I mean, it's just, it's just cool. I mean, you meet a bunch of people. I mean, there's so many ancillary awesome things. Um, related to Andy, you know, that's it. If, if there's a driving moment, I'd say it's, it's after qualifying. Um, qualifying is, the, is you'll hold your breath for four laps and um, it's, uh, it, you know, hairball is really the only way I can put it. You just hang on and, and if, if the car's set up perfect, you might get a tiny wiggle, um, If you know. So, I mean, the car's gotta be, you know, loose fast um, and just right on that cutting edge. And if, you know, it's, 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 it's not fun and it's fun when you have a good car. Um, 
because it's easy on an oval driving a good car on an oval is, is is way easier than driving a good car fast on an oval is way easier than driving a, a bad car slow i mean it's just it's, it's a it's a different experience and i reckon i recognize that because when i was with treadway i don't really feel like i drove that hard um, but we we're in the top five you know half the races um just because it was easy to drive it was a good car i had a really good engineer who i think is still out there somewhere i don't know who he's with now but, but uh jeff Britton. I think it went to AJ maybe or who knows. I know you go back to the 500. I know you're coming back this year. What does it mean like to, I mean, come back every year? Because I know you come back for the Legends Day and stuff. And um, I'm sure it's pretty cool. I mean, getting to see, you know, drivers you raced against. Also, other legends of, you know, the the race that you didn't get to race against. Well, here here's what's cool. And if, to be completely honest, I'm, I'm driving up Saturday for the Legends Day, and then I'm driving home Saturday night and just going to watch the race on the on TV. You, as, right. as I mentioned to you, um, traffic is my traffic just stresses me, and it's I'm 48 now. I, I got three. I don't need I don't need stress. I don't need to remove heartbeats from my life. And sitting there get, thinking about leaving the speedway after the race just just makes me uncomfortable thinking about it now. So uh, I'm going to go up there. Um, I, Legends Day is it's the coolest thing ever. I mean, I'll use an I sat next to your grandpa signing autographs two or three, maybe, maybe pre COVID, I forgot COVID four or five years ago. And it was, it was, um, I think my timing's right, but it was, it was cool. I'm like, this is I'm, no way I'm, I'm signing autographs next to Parnelli Jones. I mean, this is a, 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 you know, Bobby Hunter's, you know, next to him. I mean, um, this is, these are my heroes growing up. Um, and, uh, being there, being part of it, seeing, seeing some of the guys that I race with kind of, you know, what are they doing now? What do they look like? I mean, are they, you know, um, and then the last time I came, which was, was, I haven't been pre COVID, um, or I haven't been since pre COVID. Um, and, uh, it was the first time I got to bring my kids. I've got my I have triplets, two boys and a girl that are, that are 13 years old and they've never been involved in any of my racing. Um, so they got to come and see, and, um, I actually sent them through the really long line to get something signed for me from, from, you know, from all the guys down there. So, so it's a different, it's such a different feeling being back on the outside again and being able to say, these are my competitors. These are people that I respect and my heroes. And I want, I want their autographs, even though I might've raced with them. Um, Cause I want to put up a, you know, a picture of, of an Indy, an Indy, uh, Indy car picture with, you know, with all these guys autographs and, um, my, my kids have pretty short attention span, so I don't think they made it through the whole line. Um, but I got a few and it was fun. And, uh, I'm in a picture on the two, I don't remember what this, what it was, but it was the year they, it was probably five, six, seven years ago. They had the most IndyCar drivers back ever. It might've been the hundredth or I, I don't yeah, really it know. It was probably the hundredth. Yeah. 2016. They had 230 something living IndyCar drivers in a picture. And just to be part of that, I mean, I have it framed up in my house. It is, so cool i mean all the you know all the guys were there i mean it, it's uh really really awesome i mean um so that's that's what i go for um just to feel part of it again feel like you know sign my name on something other than the front of a check these days it's kind of exciting <laughs> <laughs> what um and so it's, it's funny because we t- we talked to a lot of drivers uh um don't don't want to come back to actually watch the race and i think part of it is like it's just they have this like competitive part of them where they want where they they feel like they're i don't know maybe 
I mean, even though they're not really able to race in the 500 anymore, but they just feel like they're missing out. And I mean, so many guys we've talked to don't come for the race unless they're somehow involved in it. I mean, is do you, do you think like you Man, I get, have that a little bit? No, I, I, I'm past that. I mean, so I, I, uh, there, you know, for five years after I stopped racing, I was just like, I didn't want to go because what I go, I'm like, man, why'd I quit? I could, I should do that. I mean, racing is in your blood. It's a passion. It's not something you just decide, Hey, I want to do that. Hey, I don't want to do that. Um, you know, so what it, I was born with it. I mean, I, I, I grew my, I grew up watching the Indy 500, you know, before I even knew what it was, my mom was from, uh, Indianapolis, Anderson area. And, and her father took her to all the races. So he took us when we were kids. I mean, it was, um, it's not something you just turn off. Right. So, um, I, 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 when I got done racing, of course, it's like, I wish I could still race, but I'm not going to sit here looking for sponsors. I mean, if, if, you know, if, if Roger Penske or Chip Ganassi called me, yeah, I'd love to go race. Uh, but there's just, um, I think going to happen. And if I put together a deal, it's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be with a, a lower budget team. And it's like, I've, I've done it to say I've done it. Um, you know, and now I, to keep doing it that way is just, you know, puts your life at risk to finish 10th. Like I was kind of done with that. So, um, I just made a cold Turkey decision. I got to, you know, I got to stop, move on to chapter two, uh, into a business career, which, 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 uh, you know, has its own challenges, but, um, for the first five years, I didn't really go back. Cause it's like, I could hardly even watch it. Cause I'm like, why aren't I out there? Why aren't I out there? Sure. Um, but then I turned around and I utilized whatever connections I had and whatever, you know, goodwill I created with the series and stuff to, to, to bring clients and utilize it to give people who would not have otherwise had special access, you know, access into IndyCar. And these particular people were um, large clients of mine and giving me money. So um, it kind of worked. I, I started doing that, started having fun, started feeling what it feels like to drink a beer at Indy. I mean, I never drank a beer at Indy because I was out in the track and um you know i had to um I, I never i never even drank within a you know within weeks or a month of, of getting in a race car um so it was it was nice just to go there and relax and see it all in a relaxed and non-stressful environment um at, you know once i got past that why aren't i in the car i think in 2005 i went back and was holding the helmet holding the helmet in my hand in case robbie gordon had to get out of the car he was going to do the double you know to charlotte afterwards um and if he didn't finish, I was going to get the car. And finish. I don't know, something, something crazy like that. But then oh. I just, to me, um, and there, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but there's a lot of drivers that, that got out of a car and then just, you know, still walk around racetracks with their helmet in hand, ready to go. To me, that's just like forceful torture. Like, I mean, um, <laughs> you know, it be, cause you're not going to get a ride all the yeah. time, any of the time, most of the time, maybe you get a ride one time, um, but I, I, that just wasn't for me. And I've, I've, I've had an opportunity in my, in the business my father was in, um, to get involved and, and I did, and it's turned into a very, very good and lucrative, uh, you know, deal for the last 20. I mean, it's crazy to think my last race was 2004, that's, tw you know, 18 or yeah, 18 years ago. Um, hard to believe I'm that old, <laughs> uh, but it, you know, it's, it's just time to stop and, and move along. So now I'm, uh, my mom, who's the one who got me into racing is trying to get my kids, my boys into racing. And it's, it's like, no, I don't, I don't think you should do that. And I, I hate to be the one to sit and say, I don't, I don't think you should do it. Um, I never was, when I was growing up, I guess I was never put in a position to play stick and ball sports. My kids are really 
really good baseball and really good hockey players. And my life consists of, of, of driving them around to these different uh, uh, sporting events. And I love it, but my mom's thrown in the go-kart stuff. So, I mean, it could be, you know, it could happen. Um, and every now and then the kids are like, dad, I want to, I want to be a race car driver. I'm like, no, you don't. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think some people don't understand. It's not just like football or baseball where you can just go out in your backyard or go down That's to right. your local YMCA and join a league. It's, yeah. it's a very tough bridge to, to, to go across. And once you do, it's kind of, you have to be full in or full not. I mean, for me, like you're saying with your kids around that age, 13, I was just stopping to play all stick and ball sports stopped really having a lot of time to go hang out with friends, go to birthday parties. It was your traveling across country, going to racetracks. And um, I totally agree with that. I mean, yeah, you can kind of go out and have fun in a go-kart and keep it as that, but it's super hard. That's what, when my parents, when I got my first go-kart for my birthday, that was the plan. And within a week I was registered in the first national national or or regional race in California. So it, it doesn't really, yeah. Especially we're racers too. So and you yeah, know, it's kind of hard to, to manage that, but it is, I'll let it happen if it happens. I mean, it's not, mm-hmm. I mean, again, it's like, I, I know, and I deal with so many really good kids around St. Louis. I, they, they, I'm, I'm one of, I think I'm probably the only Indy car driver from St. Louis, um, you know, in the last 50 years and, or that's alive. Um, and, and, and I, you know, I know a lot of business leaders and such, and they're getting all these proposals. They'll call me like, Hey, this kid's a really good kid. And apparently he's a really good driver. Can you, can you give him some tips on, on getting into racing? And it just brings back the levels of stress and, and pers- I mean, I was, you gotta, you gotta be persistent, perseverant. Uh, it, it's, it's, how do I, you know, the question is, how do I go get $200,000 to go race? I'm like, you know, in a, in a series where it's not televised where the, you know, where the, the marketing efforts aren't strong um, or the, you know, there's where there's really no good reason for a business to be involved in it. I mean, and I know that as a business leader now, you know, what, what would it take to make me want to sponsor a car? And it's, you know, the quite, and I realized the, 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 the request I was making at the time, maybe we're not, you know, we're, you got to find, you got to find a CEO or a, a, a guy, a business owner that loves racing uh, for one and wants to help you. Um, there, there's really no measurable, and I could be wrong and I could be, you know, Dan Anderson might want to hit me in the face after saying, is, is there any real measurable uh, marketing activation or response, um, you know, fr- from a series that's on, you know, uh, you know, late at night and so on. And, and the answer, the answer is, um, I, if I didn't have family support, there's no way I would have, would have made it. If I had to go find a sponsor for every year of, um, you know, formula 2000 and that's, that's, you know, it's expensive. Uh, and we, of course we found like usually family, friends, someone with a business, whatever that would put their name on and give it a, you know, a token amount. It's just a really challenging path. I mean, um, and, and, and I'll tell you, I've, I've, I sat there at the St. Louis, um, auto fan club or whatever, when I was driving IndyCar and just right after my rookie year and I showed up there and I was probably the most accomplished driver. And there was this guy named Carl Edwards there that I'd never even heard of. And he said, there, man, I really want to race. And, uh, you know, I'm racing. I play with remote control cars and stuff, which, which I happen to like also. So we're talking and it's like, I'm trying to, I'm going to try to do this. I want to do that. And I'm like, yeah, man, good luck. And well, now look, you know, <laughs> now, now look at him. He's had, way more successful racing career than I did. So 
it can happen, man. And, and, and he used to, uh, I remember he used to walk around handing out his card, say, you need a driver. I'm your guy. And this is why, um, and it worked, but you know, for every one of him, there's, you know, um, there's those that, 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 that don't, it's just a really challenging path. I mean, um, so I, as a father, I want my kids to succeed. Um, and I want to set them up to succeed. Um, and I think the, 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 the best path for that, um, the most, well, the most doable path for that is, uh, you know, playing hockey or playing baseball. Um, cause we can do that in our backyard. We can practice like hell. Um, and, uh, and, and I'm sitting here saying all this when it's the exact opposite of what I did. I, I, I did what you're doing. I, I, but the reason I did it and the reason I had the support was because I had the passion. Like that's, I woke up, that, that's all I could think about. And it was obvious to my parents who were, who were supportive, um, specifically my mom, like, like if, if my kids came to me and said, that's all I want to do is race. I want to race. I, I have to race. I have to, you know, I'll go get good grades. If you let me race, I'll do this. If you let me race. Um, I would do it, but they're not, they're not really doing that now. So, um, I'm, I'm not going to intentionally aim that direction. Um, I'm assuming it's still in the blood somewhere, but hopefully, you know, we'll see, I guess. It seems like a lot more people now who maybe wouldn't have kind of gone the open wheel route, maybe 10 years ago are now. And I think Jimmy Johnson is a great example of that just based on all the safety improvements. Um, but then again, when you raced, I mean, it's always the same thing. Like back when you raced, the cars were the safest they could be. Yeah. I, I got to say, I mean, I, I'll say this and then I got to jump. I just looked at the time. Um, like 630 is kind of a hard stop, hard cutoff. Um, Jimmy Johnson, um, last, it, I've kind of just paid attention because I think it's interesting that a NASCAR champion's coming over to IndyCar. And I, I, for whatever reason, he chose to do road courses, maybe from a safety standpoint. I, I don't, I don't. I don't really know, uh, but, but I don't really feel like he did anything super impressive. Um, you know, last, you know, last year, whenever he was racing, he was always towards the back of the pack, uh, which, which makes sense. It's not like I'm, I'm not ripping on him. I mean, he's, he's obviously a good driver, but if you've never driven a formula car on a road course um, and you just decide to start, you're not going to be at the front, but it's pretty cool seeing him uh, where he is. Uh, you know, I, I think he was running top five or top 10, you know, a lot of the practices and, um, and to see, I think he qualified 12th. That was, that might've been my best ever qualifying in Indy. Um, and it was, you know, it, it's cool. Um, you know, it's, uh, he, he's obviously the real deal. No one ever doubted that, but, uh, to, to be, to have ad adopted, adapted to an Indy car, uh, like that, because it really is different. And, and Jagger, you may know, I, you would know more than I do probably, but I remember driving a only NASCAR I ever drove was a Richard Petty school. They just, I knew the guys, they just let me go out and run. And I'm like, holy crap, this is like driving an RV, um, you know, going from an Indy car into a, a NASCAR and a NASCAR is probably like going into a go-kart, which, uh, you know, or, or, or something like that. But um, it's, uh, that's, that's cool. I'm happy to see him there. Before you go, who's your pick to win the race? You know, this is coming from who I want to win the race. This isn't, this isn't a pick based on what I know. Well, I think I know um, who you want to win the race. Yeah. You know, Connor's my buddy. I want him, I want him to, uh, I want him to race or I want him to win. Um, I think, you know, I also want Helio to win. I, I you know, I, it's kind of special when guys that I drove against are still winning and I've, I've been racing for 20 years, uh, or whatever, but, um, you know, I, Scott Dixon, I mean, what, what do they call him? Ice man. I mean, like the guy's just consistent Is I mean, he's, he's consistent and, uh, I, I think he's probably got a, uh, you know, got a good chance and, 
even though Helio's starting far back, I mean, that doesn't really mean anything. Um, we've seen, we've seen some drives through the field and, uh, if, you know, if anyone knows how to win in Indy, it's him. So that's it. Who, can I hear what your guys picks are for the win? Yeah, my pick, and, and this is not who I want to win, but I just have this feeling about Joseph Newgarden this year. I just feel okay. like he's overdue. Um, so I would either say Joseph Newgarden or Pelot. For me, I'm pretty set on Pelot. Um, he ran super well last year. I really liked um, – so qualifying this weekend, you're saying how different it was, but the Ganassi cars were so consistent. You'd see the Carpenter cars kind of – throw a 234 one lap and really fall off. And I think a consistent car is a consistent car. And um, the Ganassi cars are really happy with how they're all the Ganassi people. And I think Dixon starting from pole, he's got a lot of pressure. I think Plo's kind of going to sit back. I think he learned a lot last year and he's been really impressive in IndyCar. So he's my pick. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, no, I, I, you guys are, you guys know better than I do. So <laughs> Oh, Robbie, I know, I know you got to go, um, but I want to bring David Lane on real quick. Robbie's got to go watch a new Top hey, Gun movie. You know, I've, I've I've waited twenty years for this. That that movie may have gotten me into racing, got me into wanting to fly military jets. I had bad eyes, so my second choice was racing, and I got into racing. But um, yeah, I hope it's good. I mean, it's got it's got to be really good. I mean, the expectations are so high, but. Um, I'd say that movie first one formed my formed my livelihood in my life. So hopefully this one's good. <laughs> Can you hear us, David? We can't hear you. <laughs> there might well, be a jump audio button. Yeah. All right. Yeah, good, 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 to good to meet you. Say hi to your dad for me. I, nice I haven't me. I seen him forever. Uh, Aaron. Thanks for there you. he is. Yep. Gabby? All right. Hi, Robbie. Nice to meet you. Hi. Hi bye, David. <laughs> <laughs> bye, Robbie. Sorry, I got to jump. Thanks, See you Robbie. Guys. Appreciate All it. Good. Take See care. You. Enjoy bye the bye. movie. <laughs> Thanks. I watched that guy race as a kid. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I know. He had the hard hard stop because he had to go watch a new Top Gun movie. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's a good enough excuse. Trust me. Uh, uh, I understand uh, how the month, of it, the month of May has been so busy. You have no yeah. idea. Maybe you do. I don't know. It's been crazy. Yeah. Robbie had a, he had a lot of good insight on just kind of his, his whole racing career. And also I think what it, what I think that what I took away a lot from his stuff was just kind of how special the Indy 500 and Indianapolis motor speedway is and how big of a deal it is. I mean, it's a whole month. What other event is a whole month? Yeah, that's such a huge part of it. And and that's why it's, it's so stressful for everybody who's kind of involved, you know, it, it really takes mental toughness as well as that uh, the toughness on the track to do it because, you know, that, that's the thing that's kind of been amazing to me this month is kind of learning how much the drivers are, how much is demanded of the drivers outside of the cockpit, how, how much they're, you know, they have to go to one media obligation to the next one, the next one, the next one. And then they have to go to engineering meetings and then they actually have to drive the car. So, you know, it's, it's amazing to me how, how demanding this month is. Yeah, I was, I think it was, this is coming from a secondhand, someone telling me the story, but it was about Dixon and he was saying how you're, you're paid for all of that stuff, dealing with your sponsor, all the media stuff, the, the stuff outside of the car and you drive the car for free. That's cause that's what you want to do, but you're paid for, kind of the rest of the the whole show 
that sounds about right. That's uh, <laughs> that's the impression I get from a lot of guys for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, first off, David, thanks for joining us. And when you came in, you were probably expecting to see Scott there. And Jagger's literally in his place, like literally in the exact place where Scott would be sitting right now. I know. I yeah, came, where is Scott? I came in here. I came in here at gunpoint and took his seat, took his, <laughs> took over his laptop, and um, I'm on the show now. Kicked him off. He's in the closet. <laughs> yeah, duct tape around him. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, this was actually his idea to, to change this up a little bit and to incorporate Jagger in this. This was a Scott Bowie idea. Those, those ideas are usually pretty dangerous for what I know. <laughs> yeah, they are. And I, I have I usually have a lot of crazy ideas, too. Um, and Scott's always really good at kind of entertaining him. And recently, a couple of my ideas have involved Jagger and Jagger's been really cool with them as well. Um, including racing go-karts with Jagger Jones, which was a great experience. It, but, was, um, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, we had How'd that go? How'd that go? Tell, tell me as someone who hasn't done it yet. I was, I was pretty impressed. So we had um, Aaron out there, and we also had um, another guy. And I was pretty impressed, especially with him. He kept up pretty well, but um, I think he'd done a lot of motocross and a lot, some motor yeah. stuff before. Um, so he was pretty impressive, probably done some carding too, um, but definitely had a little speed on them as I should. And it was a good time. And they were, they were so shocked on how physically tired they was. Aaron says his ribs still sore. I oh, mean, I, think I got I out of one of those sessions. Up. It's a really bumpy track there. It's super fun too. Um, out of fast times here in Indy. And I was just as tired getting out of a 10 minute session of that driving that as I am after like a whole race of a USF 2000. And um, I think it's just because you feel all the bumps in a go-kart. There's no suspension. Um, your body's taking the abuse on like the hard seats where in you're in a formula car. Yes, it's tiring. It's hot. Um, but you kind of got a little bit of a smoother ride. So. Yeah, that, that um, obviously I have a, quite a bit less driving experience than you do, but um, that's the same thing that I noticed is uh I had run some carts in 19 and I got an opportunity to drive a Formula Ford and um, at a school. And I was easily like the most in shape guy who were in the in the cars because I got out and I was fine because I raced carts and that really mm-hmm. kicks your ass. And all these other guys are just like breathing really hard. Like, how are you? Like, I was just like, I raced a cart like once. <laughs> you know, once you've done that, the car does not uh, does not quite uh, beat you up that much. Well, the thing that exactly. really, um, the really surprised me, Jagger said that the the carts were more physical, physically demanding than driving a USF car. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, there's definitely different challenges. Um, I think you have to be so smooth in those carts, and you have to deal with the bumps. Mm-hmm. Like I was saying, all that you directly feel every single little bump to the steering wheel, um, and kind of in a bigger car you kind of have more suspension yeah they can be a little heavier to turn and um longer races of course and um kind of more of heat issues and that stuff but um still i mean karting i have a shifter cart i go out to gopro motorplex in north carolina try to get out there every week because it is it's just really the best training you can do for um the actual races yeah, this guy's that hurts worse than those uh, those rib injuries. Those are the worst. Oh, I know. I remember back in the day, I went over to Sweden for a race um, back when I was karting and younger, and 
um, you wear a rib vest, like a carbon fiber rib vest, but I still cracked my rib and it was like Saturday. And the, so we still had the rest of the day Saturday and then the race Sunday. And I was just trying to hold, hold it together through the races. It was just probably the most painful thing I've, I've been through. So, yeah, so we are going to have a video. I'm working on a video because we filmed the whole, the whole, the whole deal, um, the whole go-kart experience with me, Jacob and Jagger. So I will be releasing a video probably it's, it's going to take some time, but um, yeah. And maybe in the future we can do more stuff like that with maybe some other drivers and stuff. I'm sure there's tons of people who'd love to do stuff like that. And that's really a great marketing thing for, I mean, any of those go-kart places, you know, I mean, they definitely made a lot of posts about Jagger being there. And I mean, I think it's great that, you know, professional drivers, go to these places it's definitely great marketing for them well you think about it in the winter time like that's the only place where uh, yeah. you can go run you know it's it's kind of indy right yeah yeah in indy for sure yeah yeah so i'm from, um, Ari- I'm from arizona i forget about your guys <laughs> weather weather struggles here in the winter yeah you get to run utvs and stuff i know we do we have good winters but the summers are a little tough sometimes So obviously this is the Indy 500 preview show, David. So last year you predicted the winner of the Indy 500. So no pressure on you this year. Oh Lord, have mercy. Um, well, I don't know uh, what to predict yet. Um, I'm not quite there yet. Um, well, you gave me a prediction a week ago. To be completely fair, I think you did. Who did I say? Hello. Yeah, that's a good prediction. Um, I would say, yeah, Polo has a really strong shot. DK has a really strong shot. Sato and, and um, uh, who's the other one I had? Oh, Elio, of course. Even though Some he's starting. Picks. Yeah, no, definitely solid picks. But, I mean, even though he's starting 27th. Uh, I mean, I think the traffic's going to be a, a, a trouble for him. Um, but I also think that, you know, I don't think it's going to be that big of a detriment at the same time. I I think, think I think a weird way, if you can't, if you do have a fast car and you can make it to the front, I think it's almost beneficial to be starting a little further back. I think, I think guys learn a lot that first two stints really that are in the traffic and the ones that can kind of fight through that and get to the front. I think if you're kind of out front and clean air, you see some guys lead the whole beginning of the race and then um, they get past and then they're like, wow, I I'm, don't really know what it's like to follow someone. And then they're kind of one stint behind on making adjustments to their car. And um, I, I don't think it's necessarily where is he? He's pretty deep in the 20s. Alio is. Yes. Um, I don't I don't think that's an, an ideal spot, but I think some of those guys from the mid pack will learn a little bit more coming through the field than. Uh, maybe a guy that just kind of goes out front and leads right away. Yeah, I think the thing with with Elio is that uh, I think what what all those guys in the back are hoping for is a lot of yellows um, because that's what people, everyone didn't get last year. And so Simon probably had a car to win, but ultimately, uh, you know, his his path was kind of blocked by um, the fact that that he had to make all those spots up under green essentially. And I, I think with so many fast cars starting in the back, I think we will have a little bit more attrition 
this year than we have had in the past. But um, uh, it's that's going to be the key to Elio is staying out of trouble. Oh, absolutely. I agree. I Sorry to talk over you. I think, um, like you said, there's a lot of fast cars that we were just talking about this earlier, how different qualifying is in the race. I think a lot of the Chevys didn't have the, especially the Penske cars didn't have that qualifying boost speed, but I think they have really good race cars as we've seen that in the past couple of years where they don't necessarily come out blistering fast on, on pole day or qualifying weekend, but then um, they're a huge factor in the race. Yep. I, I think that, and that's the thing that's been so weird about the last 10 years, of the 500 is not necessarily the, the qualifying doesn't necessarily reflect the race because of how different the cars are. Um, you know, you don't race what you qualify anymore. So that's kind of, I think we sometimes get a bit of a, a false reading, like you say, sometimes. Well, obviously, I mean, the month of May is a big deal for you, David. Um, obviously, I mean, you you live for for IndyCar racing, for Indy 500. Um, what are you still there? Or did oh yeah, I'm still there. Oh, sorry, no, you're good. I was going to make sure you lose it. No, not yet. <laughs> no, not I, yet. No, I have to live for this month, guys. Come on. I know. <laughs> but I mean, you you have a whole. I mean, you have a whole squad with you now. The track. Um, so you you got Kyle, who you've always had filming you, and then now you have someone doing a vlog joe right yes joe is doing the vlogs uh, we just had one go out today yep uh, we actually it. did we did four videos today i just i, I well the reason i turned my camera off is because i actually have to work again um uh, because i did a, i put up a video of the starting grid and i screwed up ed carpenter's number so i've had to take that video oh. down and now i'm uh re-editing it and putting it back up but um no we we did four videos today you'll see a lot of those throughout the week i mean it's just it's a, it's a grind, but it's, it's the kind of grind that we, we like, you know, it's, uh, it's exciting. Um, and so that's what May, the month of May is all about. It's kind of, it's, it, it's not quite the hectic schedule the drivers have, but, um, it certainly is hectic. There's no doubt about it. Right. And the, you know, the big thing, like Jagger was talking about, like that he really got out of our conversation with Robin McGee is just how much, you know, Indy really means to drivers and to people. I mean, even a fan, like obviously, I've never driven a car with Indianapolis Motor Speedway, but just when you go underneath the tunnel and once you're in the track or just on the grounds, you just like get this energy that's hard to explain. Um, and I'm sure you can kind of, um, kind of agree with that, right, David? Oh, yeah, there's, I mean, there's such energy at the speedway. I, I, and it's, it's only, it's not when they're running around the road course as, as much of a boomer as it makes me sound like to say that. Um, but when those cars start going around that oval, it's just, there's something to that. And um, there's a reason this race is as important as it is for sure. Yeah. And it's cool. Um, I mean, I guess people have mixed feelings about it, but now the only thing all year that runs the oval is the Indy 500. And it's cool that that's the only race on the speedway and the road course is great, but I think, um, it's cool to leave that, how special and kind of leave the Indy 500, no more Brickyard 400. They're running the road course now. And um, it's cool that I think the Indy 500 is, um, I mean, always lives up to what it is, but I think it's cool to have such a spotlight on it as that's really the only time they're using the, the oval now. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely a Roger thing for sure. Um mm -hmm. It, I think that's kind of been his MO is, is making it special for the oval again. Um, and it's, 
it seems to have worked. It sounds like they're going to be about 20,000 short of a sellout for the 500, which is great. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, I, I wish, I wish the problem I have is that the series isn't quite there yet, but um, I think it's going to get there. Yeah, for sure. I think what, this is my first month really being here um, pretty much the whole month of May um, kind of staying here in Indianapolis and it's cool just driving around how many, um, any neighborhood you go to, um, even 30 minutes away from the track, you see, um, people's houses and front lawns all decorated with 500 stuff and, uh, Indianapolis motor speedway flags. And it's cool to see, um, how much this town cares about the 500 as well. Oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, that's, that's the other thing is that it's all, it's about the people, right? And, and there's so many of those traditions, everybody who goes to the race has a tradition. And, um, and I know my family does and everybody, uh, you know, really? it's, it's, it, that's the part that makes the race kind of like that living, breathing thing. Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's funny, you know, Jagger's talking about just driving around and seeing, you know, just how everyone's involved kind of with the race decorating their yards and all that but man if you and this is before jagger was even born i mean me and david are old guys compared to jagger but, <laughs> but you know back in like you know the late 90s which i was super young but early 2000s like it was a completely different deal i mean you had vendors i mean you probably remember david i mean just people set up all everywhere i mean all around the track and it was just a and yeah, and really for the Brickyard 400 too, that was a big thing. Like all the member, all like the die cast um, tent set up outside the track. Oh yeah. For sometimes, the, yeah. for some time, the Brickyard was almost as strong as the Indy 500, if not Absolutely. in some ways stronger. And I mean, it was the same for the 500 and that's kind of died down a little bit. And, you know, that kind of upsets me a little bit because it, it kind of, I don't know, that was just kind of part of it, but I mean, you still definitely kind of get that. And I know they, they're kind of bringing a lot of that back with like main street and speedway and you know we had the burger bass last night um which i was at and jagger was at and um no I, I mean i think that part's you know definitely good that but yeah i mean and you can watch like the um if you go on youtube watch an old episode of um cops jagger they um they they filmed it they filmed an episode um the night before the 500 i think it is kind of interesting you, you'll see how 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 different it, it was back then than it is now that's funny. I'll have to go watch that. Yeah, there's people shoplifting in the cold. Yeah, exactly. No, that 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 was the one I was thinking of. I think it was the same episode. Yeah, they were shoplifting from the Coles parking lot. And they were at the they were at the Pizza Hut as well off um Crawfordsville. But it's not a Pizza that, Hut anymore, but it was. The old Pizza Hut. The old the new one hut. sucks. We tried to eat there and it was really not great. Man, what 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 are David Land's favorite restaurants to eat at in Speedway? Union Jacks is definitely one of them, right? Union Jacks is good. Um, I on the when I'm feeling the right mood, Dawson's is good. Um, Charlie Brown's is just, I mean, it's exceptional, especially for breakfast. Mm -hmm. Very busy during this time of year for sure. Have you ate a Charlie Brown's Jagger? I have not. I've been to Union Jacks. Right. I, I don't. I haven't really ate too much around the speedway. You definitely have to experience um Charlie Brown's at least once. It's it's known for their breakfast, but you can I guess they're open pretty much all day. Yes, I'll have to go. I know you guys were mentioned 
mentioning Pizza Hut, fun fact, I, I honestly don't think I've ever been to Pizza Hut for better or for worse, but I don't know if that's a bucket list item. <laughs> well, if you can find one you can eat inside of, but that's the problem. You can't really find those anymore. Yeah, that's true. Or the Pizza Hut and Taco Bells that are like together. I know there's some of those around. Oh, I haven't seen one of those in a very long time. Right. Those are the real vintage ones. So um, obviously we just had a qualifying weekend. Um, how how surprised were you, David, that um, Scott Dixon was on the pole? No, I'm not surprised at all. Right. <laughs> um, I, I don't it was think the speed was. that was surprising uh, for right. sure. Yeah, I think I think it was crazy that first lap he put up, and I think it was even crazier how he backed it up. Um, I was sitting down there in pit lane. You could just hear all the fans going crazy with just the first lap, the second lap, the third lap, and especially the fourth lap, especially when they saw 234 average. Um, the place was just electric. Second fastest run in history. That was, uh, that was pretty special. I mean, I, on the last lap, I kind of – soaked it up and drank it in and said, all right, this is, this is it. I mean, this is the closest thing to Ari we've seen in a very long time. Do you think that we'll get any closer to Ari's speed in the next five years? Uh, I'll say provisionally, yes. I mean, I think the next year, they if they do the same amount of development, the conditions are good. Um, you know, if it jumps two miles an hour, you're, you're in the 236 range. So they could get close. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how much faster that one lap or that one run that Ari did is. Um, I think the conditions, they were pretty good this weekend, especially on pole day, but I think um, a little colder could really bring bring it up there a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you really saw, and, and you know what? So I sat with with scott jagger um that's when we were yelling at you when we saw you walking on the pit lane oh god <laughs> on the on the main on the main um on the main stretch there in front of the um formula one garages and apparently that's where scott used to sit when he was a kid so i think scott's trying to like relive his childhood or something but anyway so we're sitting there and he was like yeah look at the, i didn't even realize a windsock was on top of the um of the scoring pylon like I probably did, but I never really paid attention to it. And he was like, man, look at that, look at that pylon. He's like, it's going to slow down the next car. And he was right. Like sometimes you look at Scott and you're like, man, no offense to Scott, but I don't know if he knows what he's talking about, but Scott knows what he's talking about. I have to give him a little bit of a hard time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Scott's been around a long time, especially with his um, short track midget stuff, sprint car stuff. He definitely knows, knows his stuff. And I mean, I think it was, cool to see like I think it was very noticeable like Saturday especially when those guys went so quick early in the day and then mm -hmm. you saw some guys struggling more when their runs were later in the day with the heat and um, just for me just standing down there kind of feeling the temperature and then you're like oh I don't think this guy's gonna go as good and um, he they didn't but then like you saw Dixon ninth Saturday um, with a later qualifying run and then Sunday, obviously, they had a lot more speed in the car than what they showed Saturday. But it, it was luckily he made it to the fast 12. And Saturday was just hectic in general. I was standing on pit lane and um, you can just see the storm coming. And then Sage went out for his run. And then they had, wasn't it Newgarden out there? And 
was it New Garden when they threw the yellows? Yes. Yes. Yeah, uh, New Garden kind of got there and... his bacon got saved. There was no way he was going faster mm-hmm. than he went. Yeah, and it was just it was just you can just feel how tense everyone was down there, kind of waiting for the weather to come. And um, it was cool to kind of throw another element of um, such an already stressful day for those teams and those drivers into it into the equation. Oh, absolutely. So being someone, um, and this is for Jagger. So being someone Jagger that obviously you're in the road to Indy, you're in the USF 2000. Um, your goal at this point is to run an Indy 500. And I, you gave me one of your promo cards. I think the back of the promo card said 2025, I believe. Ooh. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, just but, a long, long prediction, but kind of more <laughs> of just a goal setting. Uh, I mean, the road to Indy ladder where I'm at, it's two more steps from here. Right, so exactly. It's going to be 2025. Um, that's the goal. And, um, how old would I be? Three years. I'd be 22. So I'm 19 Perfect right age. now. So I think that's a pretty reasonable goal um, that we're putting out there. But you never know. A lot of things can change from now to then. But kind of just more of a, a baseline, not a nothing set for sure by any means. Right. No, absolutely. Um, but no, I definitely think and I think David would agree that you're definitely going in the right direction. And you're definitely I mean, you're leading the points right now. So that's definitely I think you're doing everything that you need to do at this point to, to get there. Yeah. The winning races and scoring points is generally the way um, in those championships. That's how you get people's attention for sure. And um, you know, I think, uh, I think we'll see you in IndyCar to be honest. Yeah. Well, I hope as well. And like you said, it's important to win and score points and kind of just keep moving your way up. And uh, that's what we're trying to do right now. I'm just trying to, put everything I really have into um, trying to be the best I can showing up at the racetrack every weekend. And I think uh, like you guys were saying, if I can kind of keep my head down and uh, keep focusing on that limit mistakes, is going to be huge just through such a stressful championships where there's a lot to win um, at the end of the year and um, with really competitive people as well. So that's the goal. And I mean, even when I was doing the NASCAR stuff, I think the Indy 500 is something that's always been on my mind to run. Um, you see so many people, Jimmy Johnson, Tony Stewart, Robbie Gordon, Kurt Busch, all come over and still do the Indy 500. So I, I never, the Indy 500 was never off my radar. I mean, it's my favorite race to watch every year. Um, and even now more, I think this year, just being here so much and kind of having a new perspective of the 500 um, will be super cool to watch this year. Yeah, the the uh, the talent that the 500 attracts is just um, it's incredible. Uh, everybody wants to win it, particularly American drivers. Um, like you mentioned, I mean, the, the fact that Jimmy Johnson, the man does not have to put it on the line anymore. He's got nothing left to prove, um, but he's showing up, run 231 miles an hour, qualifying for the Indy 500. And he's going to try to win it um, and he positioned himself in a great car to do it so that's one of those things that's just um it tells you something about this race and how much it means yeah i was talking to jimmy and he was pretty um he was happy with how the months been for sure but I, you could tell he was he's a racer and he was a little not bummed but he's a little uh kind of frustrated with that qualifying run but luckily he had a huge save and um yeah just like you're saying it's super cool and i think um, he's kind of understanding more of what the 500 means. And uh, I, I mean, that's why he's doing it. That's why he's risking. Um, I mean, every driver out there is 
go on a wrist 244, 243 miles an hour is what they showed on the speed chart on Fast Friday. And I mean, no matter how safe you make the cars, 240 miles an hour is 240 miles an hour. Yeah, and that's that's what's so exciting about Indy is that, and something we've kind of lost in the last couple of decades, but we have the speed progression back. Um, we're, we're seeing those kind of speeds that make your mind just go, oh my God, I can't believe they're running that fast. And, um, you know, but that's, that's what Indy's always been about, really. Um, it's been about the speed, about the progression, and, uh, and that's what makes it, you know, it's one of those elements that makes the, the race the race. Oh, absolutely. So we got two Hondas on the front row, a Chevy. Um, what, what do you expect with the, with the engines, David? Um, I mean, do you think the, you think it's going to be a Honda? Well, obviously you said Palou, but how do you think the engines manufacturers are going to fare in the race as far as Honda and Chevy goes on who's going to have, I mean, the Chevys obviously are, are quick during qualifying, um, but who do you think has a better race engine? I think it's way closer than uh, than we thought it was going to be originally. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. I mean, I think what it, it I'll, I'll boil it down really simple. I think chassis and car wise, Ganassi, engine, Chevys, but I think it's a little more complicated. Than that. But I think that I think there's so many Ganassi cars that it will show that the Hondas are stronger than maybe they are actually are. However, I, I do feel like cars like Sato Honda and uh, Elio Honda are strong and could win. Um, but I, I think on the whole, the Chevy's got a little bit more poke in the race. Yeah, I think Sato is a name everyone keeps kind of saying is kind of the sleeper. Someone definitely should not sleep on is someone who... Definitely. I, I think he's definitely going to be there near the end. Um, he has been, obviously he's won the race twice, probably should have won it three times. Um, so he's definitely going to be there. He knows, you know, there's some drivers that just have the track figured out and he's definitely one of them. I think for Sato, I think his bravery is just kind of what not carries him, but I think that's his biggest asset going in the 500. Like you're saying, 240 miles an hour. Um, you have to risk it. I mean, you have to go for it and i think um, a lot of drivers played safe at some points in the race and um, kind of realized the danger and me as a race car driver watching sato he just looks like he has zero fear going out there i think that plays a lot into his strengths on the ovals in the indycar and um, he's fun to watch for sure and i think he's always competitive here uh, maybe not every single year but um, he'll have a one bad year and then next year you, we kind of count him out and he's right there and i think um just his speed all through practice um tuesday thursday um he was just so fast and put those laps down whether they were in a toe or not i think um people even if they had the perfect lap couldn't have done those lap times and um, i I think he's definitely going to be one to watch yeah we make a lot of toes don't we but i I think it was actually jimmy who said it to me which was a fast race car is a fast race car and if it's if it's going fast in the draft or if it's going fast by itself, it's quick. So uh, I think that's that's the thing with Sato is that you know you have to have the car to top 
it doesn't matter how big of a, a how much help you got at the end of the day it matters is the car capable of going that fast to your point and and that's what i look at at sato and then when i talk to sato the the man is calm like i just I, he feels just relaxed he feels excited um and you have to remember that he's won for the last two teams he's raced for so going to a new team seems to invigorate him and i would not be surprised one bit if uh if he's up there toward the end of this thing and Dale yeah, point cars always are sorry mm-hmm. jagger that's just what i was going to say i was just going to say um, Lucas has been quick, and that whole team looks pretty strong. Well, through the years, I mean, remember David when I mean James Davison very well could have won the race. Yeah, started last in a backup car that he didn't even qualify. Um, which uh, you know I, that was really the turning point for Dale Coin Racing was 2017. Uh, Bourdais got on that team, kind of turned him around from an engineering perspective and performance perspective, and then. Uh, you've had some competitive cars in the past, uh, past that point. Santino, I think, finished third or fourth in 20. And, um, and now Posado's proving that that car is just as fast as it's always been. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think another team that I think some people may count out, I, I definitely don't, but they were very strong last year was Dryer Ryan Bull Racing. No, don't count them out. Uh, not, not at all. Because those, te- those two drivers were top 10 drivers last year. Um, yeah. And Sage went from the back row to seven. So, uh, and, and the fact that they had the both test days with both cars, um, Santino has already run a race this year at Texas, so he's in the groove. Um, they're starting much better than they usually do. And they have the Chevy. So they have all the elements to, to surprise, in my opinion. I think Ferrucci, too, is another guy that really puts it all on the line when he goes out there. And he's another one that's fun to watch. And I think, um, I don't know if he, I think they have a chance to get up there and win, but I think uh, Ferrucci and Sage, I think both of them are going to definitely be making a lot of passes early in that first stint. Yeah. Yeah. Last year, I remember uh, <laughs> I, I observed Sage just absolutely fighting with uh, Simona for like 30 second place. And I just, I just was sitting there going, what are you doing, dude? But, you know, at the end of the day, he got up there and he was running in the top 10. So it works for some drivers where they can just run hard all day from the drop of the green flag. But then you have other drivers like below who just kind of sit and wait the whole race. And all of a sudden they're right there at the end. Sato is actually one of those drivers, believe it or not. I think 2019, he just came out of nowhere and he's third. You know, and that was like, what the heck is going on? Oh, absolutely. And that, you know, that's part of what makes Indy 500 so special. I think it's just, you never know what to expect. And it's just, it's so much different than any other, other racetrack for sure. Have they talked a lot about the, the fuel, fuel mileage difference between the Hondas and the Chevy at all? They usually keep that pretty, pretty know, close to the vest. I haven't really heard <laughs> heard too much yet but usually when it race day rolls around they kind of on the broadcast they kind of have a little bit of a insight into what's going on but yeah you know i'm trying to think i so at least in 19 the chevy was really thirsty but i feel like that has since switched and the honda well no i remember last year that that 
Dixon and Rossi stretched their fuel so far that they ran out. So I, that's a tough one. Yeah, I mean, I think, we've seen a lot of 500s where, I mean, fuel mileage always seems to come into play some point during an IndyCar race and um, don't count it out for the 500. 100%. Absolutely. And actually, so obviously, David, you were on the show last year. Um, and one thing that we talked about was about Elio, how consistent his lap speeds were last year. And I think someone was saying like, you know, maybe that's a, a good way to kind of predict who, you know, who may have a good shot in the race. Um, and I was just looking at the starting grid. I was actually looking for this for a while to see all four lap speeds for every driver. I mean, Marcus Erickson was super consistent. I mean, his, a lot of people are picking him. <laughs> yep, I mean, super. I, I was just looking here like he's probably the most consistent driver here with the speeds. And they're they're all 233s, 233.2, 232 232.4, 232.5. I mean, very consistent. He won two races last year. I think he was kind of one of the most underrated drivers of last year. Um, and yeah, he. Like you said, any of those Ganassi cards, I think, can definitely win it. Here's the only thing I have, and this is this is where I don't trust Eric's, is that let's create the scenario where with 10 laps to go, it's Marcus Erickson and Tony Kanaan. Does Marcus Eric in what world does Marcus Erickson outfield Tony Kanaan? That's that's the problem I have. With, yeah. with picking a guy like Erickson is I just, I have not seen him be able to, or be able or willing to, to lay it on the line the way that Elio did against blow last year. That's experience. That's, that's what I look for in Indianapolis when I'm picking a winner. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of the thing that I think Pelot learned last year was what Absolutely. it took. And so that's, and Erickson hasn't just, hasn't been in that position. Yeah, I mean, Pelot, I don't think Pelot really stood a chance last year. I mean, he's racing against someone who at that point was a three-time Indy 500 winner, driven to the race for, you know, 20 years or whatever. Um, just all of that experience, He, I mean, he, Elio knew exactly what he was doing. And, you know, he was kind of playing um, Pelot, I mean, you know, kind of like a puppet on a string. I mean, he knew exactly what he was doing. And, you know, he passed him the right time. And like you said, this comes down to experience. And when you look at someone like Rena's VK, or Mark, Marcus Erickson, like we were just um, discussing. Like, I, I don't think, and this is something Scott was saying last night, like he doesn't think Renas VK has the race craft to get it done. And I would probably he agree with that. That's, that's, that's the thing, is that he might not, but I think his car is so fast, and if the conditions are what we're kind of expecting where it's going to be hot, mm-hmm. you know, if you have a dominant car, you might just be able to stay out front. Right. And just everything kind of goes your way. And then, yeah, he could definitely be there. No, that's you're 100% right on that. Yeah. I definitely agree though, with how big of that experience probably was for Polo last year. Cause not only do you go rewatch that race and kind of learn from what you could have done differently. You also go into a whole month of practice, knowing where you need the car, knowing where you need to improve on your driving if you are in that situation again. So it's not only the experience last year, it's the knowledge you have going into this year, trying to figure out, because I think a lot of times just as a race car driver, what 
you can often struggle with, especially with such a new experience like the Indy 500 is for a lot of these guys. It's kind of figuring out what you want in the car. And um, I was talking to um, I was talking to one of the guys uh, that works for um, what team was it? was it? One of the guys that works on Alio's car, and we were talking about how much experience they have um, with Simon and Alio there, and um, it was just what they really alluded to is they know what what feel they want in the car, and I think a lot of the rookies kind of struggle, even not even a rookie, but the first two three years until you have a good run, you kind of are searching for what do you want in the car and what what's going to be able to win on race day. Well, it, you know, you, you look at Indianapolis and you see how many people are repeat winners at the 500. And I think that tells you everything you need to know. I mean, and that's why Meyer Shank, you know, when I looked at Meyer Shank putting that team together, you know, in the winter time of last year, it was like, holy crap, they're just going to, no one's even going to touch them because they had that much experience. And, and that, and like you say, those type of drivers that just know what they want know how to get that car handling the way they want it. That was what Elio did that was so fascinating last year was he just, because Shank was really just nowhere uh, for the longest time. And all of a sudden they get Elio and they win the 500. So that just kind of tells you the difference of, you know, and, and nothing against the drivers who were running those teams running with those teams at the time. But it was just like, you know, when Elio got there, the, the level of, poker or the price of poker went way way up absolutely and you know it kind of reminds me elio going to michael shank last year kind of reminds me of weldon going to you know her to autosport where people are like well you know that's kind of weird but look weldon won the race um obviously different circumstances of what elio won the race but you know once again weldon was one of those drivers who you know, there was two or three other years in the Panther car that he finished, what, top four? I know there was one year he finished, like, second. I mean, he was always there. Um, and, you know, kind of like we were saying, just one of those drivers that just had it figured out. Um, and, you know, even being with a, a team that you wouldn't expect would win the race, it's just the experience level, um, I think, outweighs that at some point. And, I mean, Kanan was another – I mean, he was in probably the best car for – for years, I mean, you know, Andretti Green Car, and then he goes to KV Racing, and then finally wins a race. Yeah, and that was amazing too. Was is that him? Him winning that race for KV was like, wow! <laughs> it's like that was a surprise. I don't think a lot of people expected that team to perform that well, but that shows you how important the driver is in this equation. Oh, absolutely. I think a lot of it is too, like when a smaller team knows they have Tony Kanan coming in or um, Elio Castroneves, I think their confidence goes up. They really trust in what their driver is saying and they really go in that direction. And I think it's kind of, yes, it's the driver, but I think it kind of changes the atmosphere on the team as well. And um, I think veterans have such a huge advantage, especially with IndyCar not really doing a lot of big oval racing anymore um i mean they go to texas but uh, back in the day it seemed like they had a lot more similarity similar races a lot more oval racing than um just the few that they have now and i think um that can be hard especially since a lot of these rookies coming over 
um, or not even rookies, but young drivers um, coming over from Europe, coming from the road to Indy ladder, where there's not a lot of oval racing, um, even in no oval racing in Europe. And I think it takes some time to kind of figure it out. So how big of a factor is uh, Jimmy Johnson's NASCAR experience going into the I think, I think well, it is helpful. I think having a lot of 500-mile races, I think that's been talked about a lot. I think you were um, asking him about that on one of your vlog videos. Um, I think that does help. I think the 500 is a, a race of attrition, and I think he kind of has that under control. I think oval racing is very different, but I think NASCAR compared to IndyCar, but I think there's a lot of similarities and I can't really tell you what I'm trying to think what, what I think it is that helps, but you see Kurt Busch coming, having done no IndyCar races comes run. What did he finish ninth at the 500 Tony Stewart coming over doing really well. Um, Some other Robbie Gordon, obviously he's, kind of race a lot of everything but i think um there has to be some correlation um between the two just seeing guys success that have come over in, in from nascar into the indy 500 well i think it, you know a talented race car driver is a talented race car driver mm-hmm. right um they're going to be able to cross, i mean i think that scott dixon would be able to go over nascar and he would be competitive uh given the right opportunity i think a lot of those guys they'll know guys who tried to crossover in like the mid to late 2000s didn't quite have the right opportunities but um yeah i think you know i think you can you can you can look at those guys and and say okay robbie gordon tony stewart and jimmy johnson like those guys are the top of the top and they're coming here and they're performing exactly as expected i think if you had um you know, Ricky Stenhouse. Well, no, I won't even say Stenhouse because I think he's an open wheel guy, so he'd probably be able to figure it out. Um, let's say David Reagan. I think David Reagan would have a much more difficult time coming over here and adapting because he's never, uh, number one, he's he's never been at like a top flight cup driver. But the other thing is he doesn't have that like adaptability. Um, and even mm-hmm. Jimmy Johnson came from off-road racing. A lot of people forget yeah. that. He, You know, he wasn't always a stock car guy. Yeah, for sure. I 100% agree because um, me doing the the NASCAR stuff, we raced pretty much only on ovals um, and we'd have a few road course sprinkled in and me just even having a go-kart background, um, doing some off-road stuff, kind of driving some road course cars here and there. Um, we went to the road course. I was outshined my teammates and other drivers around me that have only done oval racing at the time. And I think just that adaptability, I think, um, it's huge. I mean, I think it's a reason why I've done so well on the open wheel stuff this year, um, coming in without a lot of open wheel experience. I think, I think that's huge for Jimmy. And I think, um, he's kind of trying to break those NASCAR habit habits on the road course stuff. And I think it's hard. It's not easy by any means on the road course stuff. Um, but I think the oval stuff definitely correlates a lot more than the road course stuff, obviously. But I think, I, I think, like what you're trying to get to is there's a reason why those guys made it to the top of their sports because they were the elite of the elite. And I think coming over here, they're still the elite of elite drivers and they're just having to adapt to a new style of racing. And um, we can see it's been done before. Well, everything Jimmy has told me 
about the transition from Indy cars to stock cars or vice versa. Uh, his biggest challenge is braking. Is that what mm -hmm. you have experienced uh, in your yes, transition? Yes, that was, yeah, I, I, that's actually a big conversation I had with Jimmy. Um, the braking is, it's, you almost can't even use the same word for it of how different it is in a NASCAR versus what it is in an open wheel car. Um, the brakes, the pedal just is not the same at all. In a NASCAR, um, it, braking is to slow you down, but it doesn't really affect too much of the corner. Um, it's more just kind of there to correct the speed. In the open wheel stuff, you go into the brake zones and you use all of the force you have in your leg to, to mash on the brakes as hard as you can. And in a NASCAR, if you used a fraction of that much brake pressure, you, your all four tires would be locked. And in an open wheel car, that's what you're supposed to do. So in the, the thing about an open wheel car too is going into a brake zone, the braking determines the whole corner. Because if you don't have the braking right, the platform of the car isn't gonna be right when you start to turn the wheel. And also you're not gonna be going at the right speed. So you're gonna be going too fast um, or even too slow. And then you really can't make it up for there. So that was definitely something that took a little bit of time for me to get used to. And I think um, me transitioning, there's a little bit more of a stepping stone um, transitioning into a car that's a lot smaller and we're traveling at less speeds than an Indy car. So I think um, that's kind of helpful for me. If I just went straight into an Indy car, I think obviously it would be a way bigger, bigger jump and a bigger learning curve. I think jumping into my series, it's kind of been a good step and then I can build from here. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, like like you're talking about going from NASCAR to IndyCar, vice versa. Like, it's just, it'd be like, I think it'd be like, you know, doing pavement racing for 20 years and then going into dirt racing. Like, you're trying, you basically, you're doing everything different than what your mind was programmed to do. And I, I can't even, I mean, that would just be, like, I know Alex Lloyd did a video with Car and Driver back, like, 10 years ago. He was driving a car at Eldora. And I think he said something along the lines of like, it'd almost be better off if he had no racing experience at all and just start from scratch because it was just so hard just to go against everything you've ever learned. And I'm sure like the braking is, you know, very similar And for you, Jagger. It, I'm sure it was definitely easier for you. Um, obviously you're a lot younger and Jimmy had been in NASCAR for like 20 years at this point. So mm. he'd been in NASCAR. I mean, driving those kind of cars for much longer, you'd been, you know, growing up in the, the karting circuit so you're kind of more fresh in that. So I think that definitely probably helped you. I think another thing which kind of can sound crazy, but um, another thing that helped me a lot was even doing all the, while doing all the NASCAR stuff, I would still go on my simulator on iRacing and go drive an Indy car at oh, really? um, Laguna Seca or just to have fun because I've appreciated yeah. all types of racing. I love road course racing. And even when my focus was on NASCAR stuff, I would still do a bunch of simulator races on all types of cars. And um, that stuff makes a huge difference because, um, yeah, you're so used to one driving style, but if you're kind of dabbling a little bit, even if it's on a simulator still, it's going to kind of keep those senses alive. And I think that's another thing that, that helped me a lot on the transition. That's the amazing thing to me is like, how did the guys transition in the past when they I didn't know. have simulators? <laughs> yeah, it was all just track time and um there was no uh 
real way to kind of get your foot in the door without just going out to the track and going for it. And with very limited data they had in the past, now I can go out there and my teammate runs half a second faster than me. And I can go in there and see every single spot on the track he's breaking his video, every single spot he turns the wheel, gets on the throttle. And um, it's definitely a different era because um, you have a lot of more, lot more resources as a driver to um, improve your game. And um, I mean, for some people it works well and some people, um, I think it's even to a disadvantage for some people that don't learn as quick. Um, I think racing is just, at the end of the day, it's all about learning. And that's one thing I've always noticed from Jimmy Johnson is um, he, he didn't really have the, the talent right away when he was running the Bush series back in the day. Um, not to say talent, but he wasn't just going out there and winning. Like you see some guys like Kyle Bush or um, some drivers that just go light the world on, on fire right away. Natural talent, you can tell. And um, he really did a lot of learning and um, kind of really fixed his driving and made the team work. And I think you're going to see that too, him coming over here to IndyCar. How long do you think he's got? That's the question I've always looked at. It's like, how long is he going to do this? I don't know. I, I, I don't really know that either. I mean, I think coming from NASCAR where they race 38 times a year, transitioning into IndyCar where it's definitely an easier schedule for him. Um, I think a lot less demands of the driver. You're not in the shop every single day like you are in the NASCAR stuff. It doesn't seem, and like he was saying, so I think that's definitely um, going to make him last a little longer with his kids growing up and his family life. Um, it's a little bit more possible with the IndyCar stuff. So we'll see. I mean, I think he definitely has a good few years left if, if he wants. Wow. Okay. I'm just, uh, this is the thing as a fan that's crazy to me is just to realize that, you know, years ago, you know, Jimmy Johnson as a full-time IndyCar driver, and we're <laughs> on the eve of him running his first Indianapolis 500. It's just, it's insane. And especially at his age, yeah. you know, I wouldn't believe this a heck of a lot more if this is 2007, but this is 2022. Sure. You know, so this is just uh, we got to appreciate what we're, what we're kind of seeing here because it's it's really unique. Is it more yeah, unique? If you would have told, sorry, go ahead. Um, David Lan or Jagger Jones that, or even you, Aaron, not you wouldn't believe it. You would tell someone you're they're crazy five years ago. Um, the reality now that he's a full time IndyCar driver. Do you think David is more unique that Jimmy Johnson is a full time IndyCar driver or? when Fernando Alonso came over, ran the Indy 500? They're different situations. Um, I think they're both they're equally crazy, quite frankly, because, I mean, the situation with Fernando was he skipped the Monaco Grand Prix to, win, right. to run the Indy 500. Yeah. Uh, that was that was massive. And the other thing was, you know, looking at Jimmy, he's a seven-time NASCAR champion. This is our era's Richard Petty or Dale Earnhardt, and – it, I, I just couldn't imagine a scenario where Richard or Dale come over and run a full. I mean, I could see Dale in the five on, but I couldn't see him going to Laguna Seca. Like, like that is like you know that's the thing that's different about Jimmy is he's willing to do it all and and really commit to it. Oh, absolutely no. Um, that that's a very good point. Well, I think um, 
it's it's amazing how long we've we've been talking jagger without scott here because usually with scott's the one who usually keeps keeps the show going for hours and hours and hours it seems like sometimes but i think we did pretty good but um david thank you thank you so much for joining us and um so let's just do our final final um picks real quick before we before we end this oh man the pressure's on this i know (laughs) Just think about it, David. I mean, you you did all your branding like for your videos based on what you said last year. So there's so much pressure on you because you got to continue that streak <laughs> for next year. You know, you heard it here first. Well, th- this is it, David. I mean, this is I think this he's, is your future. He's playing it off, but I think he likes the pressure. It is well, you know, that's the right kind of pressure. When people are paying attention to you. Uh, it's the right kind of pressure. So I mean, damn, it is. It is kind of. The, the thing that I'm worried about is not so much me looking stupid, but I'm worried about people like betting their entire like life savings on, <laughs> on my pick. I just don't want that to happen. So don't, don't, don't bet large sums of money. Go have fun. Go down to the, the sports book, whatever, put 10 on it, but don't, don't bet your life savings on my picks, please. Yeah, don't be not eating dinner because you picked, didn't pick <laughs> or picked one of our predictions. Because if I really wanted to watch the world burn, I'd pick Christian Love. I'd be like, all right, everybody bet on Christian Lundgaard. Put the bet the farm on Christian Lundgaard. He's going to do it. Right. So, so my pick, so we, we had picks before you came on, Davis. So my oh, pick is, and I, and this is not who I want to win by any means, but I just have a feeling Joseph Newgarden and I have to pick Alex Pelo if I, if I pick two. I don't know if that's fair, but I'm going to pick two people. That's a good pick. Honestly, Joseph's due. And the Chevys have been good. That's what I sent. And Penske, Penske's due too. It's been two years. I mean, this is like unprecedented. Penske did not win it for two years. But uh, yeah, who'd you pick? So mine is Polo. Uh, boring yep. as we're all picking them. But um, I did take Scott's uh, position on the show, but at least we stand in solarity. I can't speak right now, but at least we stand with the same pick. Um, he yeah. wanted to make sure we got his pick across. He's got Pillow as his pick. Um, I'll throw kind of a dark horse, but not really, um, just because we seem to all kind of be picking Pillow. Um, Rosenquist, I think. Yep. Yep. I don't know. I just, I just have a feeling. I, I don't really know what made me say that right now, but I think they're Chevy. Um, I think their cars have been strong, um, qualifying trim and race trim. And I think Pato looks like the stronger driver over there, but I think Rosenquist is just so consistent. And I, I think that's going to kind of play into some strengths for the 500-mile race. So he's kind of a dark horse. I don't know if you could call him a full dark horse. But but I think you're right. I mean, I, I'll tell you that the one thing that I've noticed about Rosenquist is car looks really good trap. So mm-hmm. that – and he's been quiet. And that's the – sometimes the quiet guys are the ones who win this thing. Because uh, they don't make noise, they get to work, and then they show up on on race day, and they they go with the thing. But I mean, I mean, Polo Polo is far and away the favorite, in my opinion, more so than Dixon, because number one, his his qualifying effort was more consistent. So I look at that, um, and also, uh, you know, I think he's he's a younger driver, which he's a younger driver but experienced, so he has that aggressiveness, but also. I think he doesn't quite know the alternative like Scott Dixon does, where Dixon's ended up in the in the inside catch fence before trying to win it. I think Pelot has that edge 
He has, he's the top guy now and will be. He needs an Indy 500 win, I think, uh, now that he has a championship, especially. So I think Polo is the obvious choice, but I think Renus is, is just as obvious. I think Renus has got a really good car. Every time I've talked to him, he has not seemed like he's really stressing about it, which says to me that uh, he's got a little something extra. Now, I think Scott is right that he hasn't been in that situation yet. And I'm kind of going against my Marcus Erickson observation, which is he hasn't been in that duel yet. And so when you're when you're in that duel, how do you win that duel against Tony Kanaan or Scott Dixon or an Elio Castroneves? That's going to be the challenge for Reynas. I think he's got the car. I think he's got the talent. And I think he's got the, the kind of good mojo right now. But that's going to be the thing he's going to have to overcome is that that duel at the end. And the thing, the reason I kind of want to lean towards VK at this time is the conditions. I think if he's got a car that handles and he's got a car that'll work in traffic, um, and if the Chevy engine is more torquey than the Honda uh, at those kind of uh, weird rev ranges where, where if he's in traffic and he's having to lift off the throttle and get back on it, um, I, I think that's probably my pick. Right now, if I if I'm not picking blows, is BK. You heard it here first from David Land. Oh God! Oh God! <laughs> this will be this will be on your um, on your video for May in 2023. Yeah, this will be the next one. This will be the next one. Otherwise, it'll be like I'll have it'll be like a, a PSA to not gamble your life savings. Away. Yeah. Man, I was I was honored though to to be to like be on that because I was watching. I saw you post it on Instagram. I'm like, that's me. That's me and Scott. Well, I remember you guys last, like immediately after the race. I mean, we were, we hadn't eaten anything all day and we were chowing down on some Chipotle. And I remember you tweeted out and said, well, he really did pick it. <laughs> and he posted the clip from the podcast. I was like, oh yeah, I did say that. I think I, I went on three or four different podcasts. I don't know how, that's the crazy thing about that. It's like, I, I stayed consistent too, which is, which is tough to do. I didn't just go and pick randomly. It was kind of, it was pretty measured, but uh, yeah, that's well, a once in a lifetime it, thing. Hopefully, if, well, if you guess it again this year, I think you're going to have some people contacting you next year before they go to Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> I might have the federal government like starting to knock on my door asking if I'm fixing yeah. the races or something. Hey, hey, you may, and I'll, t- I'll say a quick funny story before we go. But um, so I I have a buddy. Why? So I know this guy who in 2016, and I I've con- I wasn't there, but I confirmed this story, and it actually did happen. He went to Rossi, like, I don't know. He Rossi was just some signing, like, the week before the 500. And he he said, you're going to win the race. Like, I, I had a dream, like, you're going to win the race. And Alex just looked at him like he was crazy. And obviously, he won the race, um, which is just a crazy thing. So, and, I mean, back then, who would have guessed that? I mean, that'd be like saying, I, I, I mean, there's so many drivers. You could say that you wouldn't expect in a million years to win the race, but. You know, I remember about Rossi at 16. The one thing that that did, I think a lot of some people forget, is that he was pretty quick in practice. And there was a time where he was real. I think a lot of I, I remember thinking of him as a possible fast nine guy. Mm-hmm. I think he qualified 10th. And the only reason he wasn't in the fast nine was that he didn't ever requalify. Um he he went out the first. First in the mor- uh, first thing in the morning, ran his four laps, and then never tried to 
requalify, which Hinchcliffe did and got the pole. So I, I do wonder if, if Rossi had gone out there and qualified again, if he qualified better. But the thing, the way Rossi ended up winning the race was not through raw speed. It was through the strategy and, and maintaining that, that fuel number that got him there. So, um, but, but Rossi did run the fastest lap of the race at 16 and he was a lot close. It, you know, that's the thing. Rossi's win was not like, it was shocking, but it wasn't as shocking as maybe, Stefan Wilson would have been if he'd won it a couple of years ago. That would have mm-hmm. been shot. Yeah, I think too, the Andretti cars were so strong for a few years there when, like, when Alonzo first came over, um, even when Hunter Ray won, like, the Andretti cars were, were really good for a few, few years. Oh, yeah, that was, that was the team to beat. It was always like, okay, which of the Andretti cars is going to win, particularly in mm-hmm. seventh? That was just like, they were, str- that was their peak strength. And uh, and look where they are now. But uh, who said that? <laughs> and and one name, real quick, David, that you have not mentioned that I was actually really surprised. It made me think of it because Al- Alexander Rossi, who was calling a strategy, obviously Brian Herta, and you already know what name I'm going to say, Colton Herta. Um, yep. That name has not been brought up. I think during this whole time we've been doing this podcast, there was one. There was one person I've heard this whole week bring up Colton Herta's name. It was Rena Spk. He said he had a good car. He 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 thought Herta had a good car track. That's the only person I've heard say that. However, because he's my pick for win, the win, that's I think he's worried about Herta. So it's interesting. But the reason he wasn't, he also wasn't worried. He was worried about Herta, but not worried about Herta at the same time because he was starting in the back. And that's going to be the big problem for Herta and Elio and McLaughlin is Rossi. that they are going to have Rossi. They're all going to have to come through that traffic. And I, I think I think we're gonna have a lot more yellows than two this year. I'll just put it that way. I think we're gonna see some guys really take some chances to try to get up to that field, and uh, especially at the beginning. And uh, you know, cautions, precautions, as we know. Absolutely. Well, I think it'll definitely be a great race. And um, God, David, thanks so much for being on as always. And before we go, obviously, we got to do a quick uh, merch plug. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you can go get. Merch at race92.com slash David. Let me start my video again here. Hi. Um, yeah, race 92. We just uh, put some new merch out, which is great. Um, I was wearing, actually, we've got a video. I have wore the video or the uh, the shirt in, uh, what was that? I'm running, I, I, I honestly, forgetting days. That was yesterday, wasn't it? <laughs> was that yesterday? Monday practice? Yeah, yeah, today is Tuesday, right? Yeah, today's so yeah, Tuesday. I wore, uh, wore wore just the generic logo shirt that we thought would be a great idea yesterday, and you'll see that again in another video that's top secret that will come out later this uh, this week. Um, but yeah, people were asking for more merch. We got it, and it sounds like uh, we've had quite a few sales so far. So that's good to hear. Um, How many stickers and, uh, you got left? Not many. It's great. The stickers are insane. How, how much people are like eating that up. We got to get those up on the websites. People who aren't at the track are like, we want to buy them. It's like, holy smokes. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll do something. Yeah. It'll, it'll be through a different because those stickers are bought, not from the same third party oh. shipper that we use, but they, they, they'll still do them. So we can still put them on there through them. Yeah. We got to get that. We got to get that going. Cause they are, people are, yeah, there's rabid demand for those. 
Yeah, we do different sizes and stuff too. Oh man. I mean, I mean, I'll send you the I'll send you the website, David. But I mean, we could do cups with the we could do all kinds of stuff with the mic on it. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff we could do. Oh heck yeah! I like the sound of that. Yep. Well, um, like I said, David, thank you so much, and um, yeah, well, um, hopefully, we'll be- hopefully, this ages as well as last year's. However, I'm a little <laughs> bit concerned it will not. But you see, you sort of just started mentioning like half field and you would have had a better shot yeah the expectations are high so maybe we're just lowering them for the next year actually <laughs> look at that positive spin you you're right. well on your way to becoming a race car driver that's <laughs> pr 101 yep absolutely well uh, well he's already a race car driver but i mean you know top right. low, top low. next time um and... sorry go ahead go ahead you can go no, I was going to say, next time we, we do any kind of go-kart adventure, um, you definitely got to be a part of it, David. Oh, for sure. Yeah, count me in. All right, well, thanks, everyone, for watching. And, um, yeah, hope everyone enjoys the race. Bye.